Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, timeless investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to follow along. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focused Compounding Podcast, the number one value investing podcast in the world. See you next to Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It is going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else as well. Hey, if this is the first time that you're tuning in with us, uh, be sure to check out all of our work. Go to focuscompounding.com. Check out our premium research. Uh, follow us on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. Thumbs this video up. Leave us a rating review on the podcast side of things. The best place to get all the content we that we put out is on my Twitter probably, which is at Focused Compound. Also, if there are any potential investors out there that want to learn a little bit more about our investing process, uh, either through the fund structure or the SMA structure, um, we are going to be in Omaha the week of the Berkshire meeting. Uh, which is May 2nd. So reach out to me, Andrew at focusedcompounding.com. So a video and a podcast that we haven't done in a long time is a Q&A from Twitter. Mm -hmm. And to be able to ask that in the future, every now and then I will just do a call for questions. Uh, be sure to follow me. So I'm just going to read off some questions and we could you know, do our best to answer them. And I think it's a good way to you know, um, you know, connect with the listeners. It's a lot of fun. And uh, we'll you know, answer as many questions as we can. Uh, first question says, do you guys explicitly write down EBIT, free cash flow, and earnings in the future before buying a stock? The idea is to be able to react when the thesis starts slipping. So you've seen what I do, so I guess that you could probably answer this question. Um, the answer is no, definitely mm -hmm. not. In fact, um, the way we do it is probably sort of the opposite that way. Um, we don't have things about, so we look at what basically next 10 years would be yep, and what kind of growth rates we need and stuff like that. So we, in a sense, have um, uh, an idea of what would cause it to slip over like a 10-year period, a long-term holding period. So things that could cause it to slip would be um, uh, a lack of revenue growth that's fast enough for us, um, lack of return on equity being high enough, things like that. Um, but we don't have things for like year by year. That wouldn't be something that we would do. Um, we also have the idea of like how cheap or expensive the stock would have to be to justify the price, basically. So we're, we're really doing is when looking at the price now, whenever we own it, is it still justifiable um, based on what the performance is? Um, it's not based on like what our expectations were for it. And we do own some stocks where our expectations probably would be different. Mm -hmm. So like we own a stock where I think the revenue growth has probably been at or exceeded what we would expect and certainly more than we would need. But then the earnings growth has been worse because they spent more on expenses this year. I never would have predicted that one way or the other. I don't have estimates for like one year ahead. Like, oh, they're really going to ramp up this kind of spending or that kind of thing. Nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I will also say though, you do write blog posts about mm -hmm. a lot of the companies with your expectations there, but it's not yeah. like, oh, if they don't hit the EBIT or the free cash flow or earnings in the future. Well, I um, just don't think that I ha write down numbers for next year, the year after that. Yeah. After, I, mean, I mean, we I, could tell you, like, I mean, the company Jeff's talking about, uh, mm -hmm. you know, they decided to spend more money is, is over the counter markets, mm -hmm. right? So you didn't factor that in mm -hmm. um, when you valued the company, but you still think it could grow, you know, X percent over the next five to 10 years. Right. But if the, if it was good for the stock market and that the, the stock market was, um, uh, 
it, that it was a pretty bullish time or whatever, a lot of stock market activity, and yet their revenue growth was coming in much lower than I expected, then we might sell it for that reason because I would have misjudged something about that. You know, the revenue growth really would matter a lot more to mm -hmm. me in that kind of case. So, you know, if we had a negative number or something that would really, in a time that isn't bad for the market, that would really surprise me and make me reassess that mm -hmm. company. You know? yeah. So same thing like if a bank started having negative deposit growth when I was expecting uh, deposit growth over time and it wasn't, you know, some weird thing like a financial crisis or, you know, um, then, yeah, that would change things. But I don't have estimates for like next year, the year after that, and the year after that. Mm -hmm. um, how soon before Dr. Trump develops a cure for the coronavirus and saves the market? Um, if we're up to him, I would say yesterday he tweeted out stock market looks good to me. Did you see that? No. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of funny. Uh, this guy's definitely talking to you. What kind of hair products do you use? Uh, razors. <laughs> uh, I use Redkin paste. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, next question. Jeff always talks about reading the 10 K, but mm -hmm. it's clear his research goes beyond what's in the 10 K. Does he make notes of what to look up outside the 10 K? So I guess, you know, scuttlebutt, mm -hmm. uh, for example, pricing, real estate assets, industry concentration, performance through cycles, et cetera. Yeah. So, um, Hmm. Well, we we're just talking about this today, right? Different forms of scuttlebutt, like talking to people, mm -hmm. um, you know, seeing the assets itself. We talked, so Will, um, somewhere out there on the internet, okay. Google focus compounding checklist for going beyond yeah. a 10K. And if you don't, I think I follow you. I think, anyways, if not, I will. Um, so you could DM me. DM me if you can't find it, and I will send it to you. Let's see if we could do that. There we go. He's been following for a while. Um, mm -hmm. DM me, and then I will send it to you. But I guess we could conceptually talk about it. I mean, that's the best source that we have. Uh, even We may not even follow that like a blueprint, but mm -hmm. it's just a bunch of different ideas, I would say. Yeah. I mean, basically what we do is we come up with like what questions I don't know the answers to. And then I try to learn about them. Yeah. And it varies a lot depending on the company, but it is, it can even be things about reading books on the industry, about the historical development of an industry, yeah. competitors, uh, people, probably more on people than, than you might guess, like learning about the mm -hmm. personalities involved and uh, maybe the culture and whatever. We yeah. did have talked about how we use things like Glassdoor and stuff like yeah. that. And also TripAdvisor for yeah, reviews. Yeah, TripAdvisor is very... What do the customers yeah. think? I mean, even like YouTube videos, do the experience yourself. Yes. If you're, if you oh, are, yeah, we haven't mentioned that. I mean, I watch YouTube videos for anything that gives me an idea of like a company's um, facilities and stuff, even mm -hmm. like things that are just, I'm looking at a, the factories and stuff yeah. to get an idea for them. I mean, you wrote about Hilton Foods. Yep. We, we watched uh, a video from, I don't know how long ago it was, but just to really paint the picture. And for me, I'm mm -hmm. a visual person that helps a lot, quite yeah. honestly. Yeah. Uh, but even reading books, right? If, um, you know, you're studying theme parks, read about Disney World, read about Disney, mm -hmm. read about all these different things. I mean, just really try to consume as much information yeah. you can. But but there's like the a industry. reason for that. Like with the Hilton Foods, I wanted to get an idea of whether their like plant in Eastern Europe or Central Europe, they call it, um, was like the same sort of thing as like the high end one that they had in the UK, you know, which yeah. is very automated and stuff. It's not at all. I'm just laughing at your response to razors. That's funny. <laughs> Jeff's funny. Okay. Um, yeah. So I would say that. And then for everybody listening, if you want to get a good answer to that, I would just say Google. But I think it's different for every company, right? Because there's main drivers or questions that you may have. For we definitely do different more site visits like of the actual yeah. business sites of a company than people might think. So like visiting the actual locations, visiting actual store locations, seeing the stores, things like that, like mm -hmm. firsthand. Yeah. So like uh, you know Phil Fisher or Peter Lynch type stuff. Mm -hmm. um, okay, next question. Retain earnings is an accumulation of earnings, and a company can only reinvest cash flow, not earnings. So how does an investor make practical use of it? 
Well, it's a little complicated because you don't necessarily need to have free cash flow that you generated from your own business to produce the reinvestment that you make. You could have retained earnings that then through borrowing and things like that you're growing. So that is a common thing. Like as long as you're just holding the same level in terms of like uh, an asset, uh, um, some sort of other um, like debt. So like I think I mentioned, uh, I think I mentioned in a recent podcast, like Greenberg Partners or something. Yeah. So if their land, uh, the amount of land that they own is growing at 10% a year, they can probably grow their debt at 10% a year because you could probably borrow like 30% of the value of your land comfortably or whatever. Or the same sort of thing with um, when we wrote a car mart, America's car mart, I talked about in terms of the receivables per share. Um, so basically how big the loan book is, mm-hmm. that would be common for things like um, insurers and banks and stuff like that. So I wouldn't necessarily say that it has to be cash flow, but it has to be what Buffett would call owner's earnings. So you have to do a calculation for owner's earnings, which unfortunately means you have to understand something about the business. It's not really just cash flow. It's like actually understanding what... If they if the business stopped growing, how much cash would you earn this year? Basically, mm-hmm. is what we look at. Yeah. Um, next question: What do you think about the Jamaica stock I exchange? I actually have never looked at it. So yeah, same here. Uh, next one: Happy you dodged the KLXE bullet. Yeah. So KLXE, can you pull up KLXE on yeah. PC market or on any? Um, page. This company looked like a dream, didn't it, from the spinoff? Yeah. So incentives and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a company that's m- like pretty cyclical and kind of a bit leveraged now from acquiring things. But when it spun off, it wasn't leveraged at all. Yeah. It was um, like what? $200 million company. Yeah. It fills a lot of the things that, uh, it fits a lot of the things that like Joel Greenblatt would talk about, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of looking for a spinoff, definitely management with a lot of skin in the game, uh, big leverage to, if there was upside, but a cyclical industry that I don't necessarily understand that well. And they're like sort of the most cyclical part of it. I mean, we, talked a little bit about that sometimes mm-hmm. where I said like making loans to like um, produ- on producing wells you know for a bank like energy loans is different from lending to like an energy services company mm-hmm. you know energy services stuff can turn into where you have like no cash flow at the bottom of the cycle you know because people can put it off right not everything they do can be put off but a lot can uh, so yes I guess we are happy uh, next question. I wouldn't say that we very seriously considered uh, KLC. No, we talked about it, though. It's something that we've talked about, but it's the kind of thing that might make a great stock, but is the kind of thing that probably doesn't end up in the kinds of ways that we run money, just because that's we like to buy things that we think we're going to hold for a fairly long time or have that capability. So those kinds of cyclical things. Are less I'm going to read. Let's see how good okay. my vision is. We have on a whiteboard a piece of paper. There's five points, mm. right? First point, does the company have virtually no debt? Galaxy did at first, but okay. then added a lot. Second point, would I consider buying the whole company if I was offered 100% of it in a private transaction? No, I would not. I don't want to own an energy service company. Third point, would Warren Buffett really, really is in caps and underline, would Warren Buffett really consider buying this stock? No. He might lend the money. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. Be yeah, first 10% line. in a Warren or something. Oh, this yeah. one's this next one's kind of. Fourth one, is this business virtually certain to have materially higher earnings 10 years from now? No. No, no it, not virtually not certain. certain. Maybe. Have way higher yeah, earnings maybe. or lower. Yeah, I don't virtually don't know. certain. Uh, let's see. Five. Last one. Does a 10-year total return projection using modest, modest is all caps and underline, assumptions say the stock will return at least 10% a year if bought and held for a full decade? Uh, I would say, who knows with that one? Yeah. I mean, it's but to your point, cheap, but to yeah. Jeff's point, and the reason I read that is because he was saying, you know, something that we would 
own potentially, you know, where you feel very comfortable about it, it was just kind of hard to answer those questions with KLXE. Yeah. I mean, there are people who say, you know, there are no bad assets, only um, bad prices. And things. yeah, that's not really our approach. It's not that it's wrong. It's just, that's not our approach. So there are assets that we won't touch at any price. Mm-hmm. Um, that was good vision, right? That's like a good, what's that, that like 20 feet away? No, it's like eight, nine feet away. Okay. Um, let's see. Next question. How large would the coronavirus impact have to be before you factor it into a buy decision? Uh, we've already factored into a buy decision. We have. Yeah. So uh, it, it depends. Um, for things like uh, things where large groups of people would be gathering and stuff would be an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, we factor into a decision of something having to do with... Um, uh, large groups of people inside China. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and that, like, but for m- the most part, for like the overall market stuff, not at all. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's things like tourist stuff, um, airline stuff in certain places, um, very specific places and things like that. Things that, and also anything that being shut down for a few months or something could ruin your entire business. Mm-hmm. Anything that that's not the issue, we're not looking at it from the way of like, there'll never be large groups of people in these cities and things again, just that, you know, it's a, that not having any business for a few months would be devastating to your, um, you know, your airline or your, uh, you know, your theme park or your movie theater or whatever, then yeah, it would be a huge factor, but you know, things that can weather that and can lose a lot of money this year and recover. It's not a factor. Mm -hmm. Um, somebody added on to that. It says you've expressed, interest in Sydney airport, given its high leverage, could it be significantly impacted by coronavirus? I don't think so. I mean, it could be significantly impacted. The stock could go down a lot and stuff, but the amount of the maturities, I mean, the amount of the debt due each year just isn't that high. It's much more longer term debt, if I remember correctly, isn't it? Isn't it structured like really It's structured very evenly. So I would say that the amount that's due in a single year shouldn't be a problem. And I think, uh, but you know, honestly, if there was a huge problem with coronavirus at the same time, there was really tight credit because of something like people freaking out over coronavirus or whatever, then yeah, you'd have that issue. Mm -hmm. It has to be both at the same time. I'm not worried about um, Sydney airport unless there's, um, it's whatever happens with their business happens at the same time as some sort of credit crunch. Other absent a credit crunch, I'm not worried. Mm-hmm. Uh, next question: We're looking at a value stock. Do you do a ten year DCF, or should you just look at current market value versus book value for the most recent years? Um, I would say just watch the mm-hmm. video uh, that we are have uploaded or did upload on valuing a bunch of stocks. I think that'll be very helpful to him. Yeah, we tend to look. To be honest, I don't actually care what the earnings or anything are today, I look ahead 10 years basically about what I think it will look like down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why we don't buy a lot of stocks because I don't know what it'll look like in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Or, you know. uh, next question. Assuming the stranger already has the desirable behavioral traits, how would you and Jeff take someone completely clueless about finance and investing and get them to the level where you guys are today? Hmm. I, I mean, I, I would probably say copying a few other people who are really knowledgeable. Um, I think the ones that I would pick would be like um, Warren Buffett, uh, Joel Greenblatt in the book, um, You Can Be a Stock Market Genius, and maybe like Peter Lynch, and saying just like taking that approach of those books, mm-hmm. and you know, in Buffett's case of like shareholder letters and things like that, yeah. and just trying to like find their best investments and just copying that basically. So just case studies of their best investments and they're talking about stuff. I think for a lot of people it's easier if it's like explained by those people. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think for a lot of people starting out, it would be better to have the, not to learn from books and things that are like about theory, but like case studies where you can actually hear from the person why they invested in it. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably would be the best way to also do Also go to waybackmachine.org and type in Gana Investing. Go okay. back to 2004. 
Next question, what would it take for Jeff to invest in retail? It's not impossible for me to invest in retail. I know that. No, it's not. We've talked about it. That um, not, We have yeah. two things that we consider for the fund right now that are retailers. How likely they are that we'll buy them, I don't know. Um, two things. One, specialty retail is really hard for me. So it would be more of a general sort of thing. I did own, uh, you know, um, uh, village supermarket for a while. Um, and so like a, a supermarket business is very different. Um, and retail, even especially retail, if it didn't change much from year to year, um, anything that's like more fashion oriented where the market share changes a lot and where a lot of the product line changes over from year to year, it's sort of like, would I invest in a clothing company? If someone said to me, I would say that seems very unlikely. But then they, if they said, would you invest in an underwear company? I'd say, yeah, because 90% of their, um, of their product line doesn't change at all from year to year. And the rest changes by like some slight changes to color and style and stuff. I'm sure there's so, a funny joke in so there, but yeah. Slowly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, you know, but would I, the same sort of thing. So like a retailer, if it was as stable as other sorts of industries in their little whatever thing they're in, uh, yeah, I consider it. I mean, it's not like I could never invest in like Walmart or something like that that's that general mm-hmm. or something that somehow is local uh, domination in something. But um, yeah, very, very hard. Retail, I think, is maybe the hardest industry for me to invest in. It's awfully close to it. Mm. Yeah, hardest non-technical industry, at least. Um, when calculating enterprise value for a company with float from customer prepayments, do you include all the cash in the calculation? Uh, so, no. Actually, what we do is exclude all the cash to try to be conservative. Um, I would say it's the best You've answer. seen me do like both of those things where I say something like this stock, best case scenario, if I list like a few different things, like they use, they use all this cash is cash that they're going to use um, or all this cash is cash that's going to sit here forever and stuff. And I kind of yeah. make both assumptions. I'll literally look at a stock and say- well, for points, you kind of thought about both ways. Yeah. But I'll look at a stock and say, okay, they use all their cash to buy back their stock and do things like that right away. Or this cash sits here for 10 years and they never do anything with mm-hmm. it. I'll look at both sorts of things. Um, so yeah, we generally what we're trying to do is like find the most conservative way to value it and see if it still works as an idea then. And then if it turns out that they make good use of the cash and stuff, then it would be different. Mm-hmm. If you have a really good example though, like of a company that has a long history of using a certain way, then it'd be different. So, um, you know, do you, should you exclude, this is about customer prepayments, but like an example would be like Omnicom or something. They have a long history and ad agencies generally have a long history of using their float in a certain way, mm-hmm. buying back stock, a lot of financial engineering, you know, um, things like that. I don't, you know, it, it's just different, but there are some companies that seem to never touch, uh, that float. Yeah. Um, your top five emerging market stocks, um, favorite commodities to look at, favorite valuation technique to value banks, and NBFCs. Cheers. Um, top five emerging market stocks, no idea. I don't have a good answer yeah, to that one. Favorite commodities to look at? Hmm, I don't think I have good answers to that one either. Nope. Uh, favorite valuation technique to value banks? You got to well, answer for that. Uh, yes. So my favorite valuation technique to value banks is to use their, uh, deposits per share and then to calculate how, how much you think they'll earn on those deposits. Mm-hmm. So basically what the cost of the deposits are actually. And NBFCs. I have no idea what that is. What's that? that? Okay. Is. All right. Uh, unless it's non-bank financial companies. Could be. It might be. Okay. Um, curious about NACO, AGM oh, and cool. Mac. Yep. Farmer right. Mac and cool in today's environment. Uh, so, uh, I don't know. Um, so cool. I would say that we aren't investing in Timberland right now. And then I may have, we are not, 
We are not, yes. And I may have overestimated um, timber as an asset in terms of the valuation for timberland generally. Um, Farmer Max, a little complicated, but I was just looking at it the other day uh, because the stock's come down. Oh, really? Yeah, the stock's come down quite a bit. Um, it had gone up, though, since I looked at it. Uh, it yeah, Farmer Mac would be one, if people listening to this, like, we don't do stocks that aren't overlooked. But if I was going to really, really study a big financial company, it's only like a billion-dollar market cap or something, uh, that's probably the one I would focus on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, learn everything I could about it and see if, it's, um, if it works. I've, I've always thought that Farmer Mac might be... I don't think they're really run conservatively enough that they can avoid, like, if there's a farm bubble. Yeah. That's the thing that I always worry about. Isn't actually anything else except entering a bubble. And in a way, the stock probably would do well for a while in a bubble and then would be devastated. But that would be the thing I'd always look out for is a bubble. NACO? NACO, I don't feel that differently about. It's funny. The stock's gone up a lot, gone down a lot. I don't feel that differently about it now than a year ago. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, What's your guys' thoughts on the more quantitative-driven funds? Renaissance Technology with Jim Simons, for example. I really don't know anything about them. Um, yeah. I've read Did you read the book? And stuff. Yeah, I have. Do you guys want to know a funny story? So when, um, what's that book called again? I can't remember. Oh. I'm so rude. I'm so bad with titles. Anyways, everyone yeah. know what I'm talking about. The Jim Simons book that just came out. Um, we had one that was ordered to the office. Mm-hmm. And Jeff didn't order it. I didn't right. order it. It was sent by someone else. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but that's a funny part. That's yeah. a punchline. Right? Okay. And we're like, for like a couple of weeks, we're like, I have no idea who sent this book. I checked my Amazon account. You checked yours. Mm-hmm. We checked all the, you know, I was like, I have no idea. I called my parents. I'm like, hey, did you send me this book? You know, we had no idea. So eventually I was just like, all right, well, I'll take this book because I ordered it on Audible mm-hmm. and I believe Kindle. But I know I had it on Audible. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'll just take it then. And you're like, yeah, do you want it? I was like, sure. Long story short, a couple of weeks later or whatever, we found out that uh, Jeff's mom sent mm-hmm. it to him for his birthday. Yep. <laughs> and did she just ask you? Was she like, did you get my book? You're like, oh, yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, I give it to Andrew. Yeah, it was on my bookshelf at home, <laughs> and I brought it back. Yep. So if it wasn't from your mother, I wouldn't have done that. But no, I'm just kidding. But um, we don't know a lot about quantitative funds. No. Really I do yeah. think it's funny that a lot of people compare his approach to Buffett's because of the returns. Yeah. Jim Simons and the main fund that everyone talks about, I believe they capped it at $10 billion. Buffett manages, you know, um, you know, more than 10 times that. So I don't know how you really compare those track records together. Yeah. I think they're set up differently. But, I mean, yeah, they've. Uh, it's interesting. I think it'll get harder. Interesting I mean, such if situation. you wanted to know what I think will get, like, will have the greatest deterioration in returns. Yeah. I think probably quantitative stuff. We talked a little bit about factors. Oh, really? I didn't know you felt that way. Uh, I do because there's just too much competition. There used to be not much competition at all, and now there's a lot of competition. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like when people talk about private equity a while ago or whatever. There was a lot less competition than there Mm -hmm. is now, you know. Um, How to learn more about a specific industry or company without working in it. Um, Read a lot. Google. Um, Talk to people that have worked in there. Talk to maybe people that cover it. Talk to people that have written about it. Um, even other ways, right? Doing scuttlebutt, go be the customer yourself, mm-hmm. go see it in person. We do that a lot. We literally, um, our goal is actually, you know, to do one, you know, scuttlebutt trip a month and sometimes yep. twice. Yeah. Uh, but not only that, you know, going to other states, but we go on, um, we go see similar businesses. Yeah. Even if it's not our actual company that we own, uh, if there's a business that's near us or within drivable distance that is in the same industry, we'll go and do it. We'll experience it. And then, you know, compare and contrast. So I think it's really just um, doing the scuttlebutt, kind of taking the Peter Lynch approach and just doing what other people won't do, right? We talk about that mm-hmm. a lot of times. Yeah, it's a combination. I mean, if you talk, like people say, should you talk to managers, should you not? Should you? If you can actually visit the locations, 
talk to management and read the 10K and stuff, yeah. all three on a on one company, and do that for like a couple companies in the same industry, you'll learn so much more and understand it so much better than any one of those things. Yeah. Like it, when you go in, like people ask, we talk to management. We can get a lot of management when we talk to them if we've all, Phil Fisher said this, but if we like have so researched and understand the industry that we know what questions to ask. Yeah. Otherwise, it's actually not that helpful. Mm -hmm. Like they're not going to explain exactly how their business works and how they make money and everything to you unless you have some understanding of that already mm -hmm. coming into the meeting. Yeah. Don't forget that, you know, the real businesses and that, that was a good question. Um, thoughts on moats and how the moat of moats has changed over time. Um, wouldn't you say it's probably gotten tougher? There's a 13 year old and a 50 year old in their garage trying to destroy most businesses for technology type stuff. I, I would say yeah. durability and predictability probably. I mean, is there may be fewer moats, but then the moats that there are cover larger amounts of market cap. I mean, if you look at the moats around some of the biggest companies in the United States, it, that covers a lot of market cap. That's a huge part of the S&P 500 mm -hmm. or something. Um, so it's different. Like, you know, Facebook, for instance, uh, let's say Google and Facebook, right? That those two together eliminated like all of the classified business and stuff that was making a lot of money for, um, for newspapers all around the country. So that can replace, you know, several hundred newspapers that had moats yeah. with a couple companies that have them, mm -hmm. you know? So I don't know that it's really changed that much in terms of like, like on a dollar basis, how much you can invest in things that have moats, but it has changed it in the fact that it's concentrated in a few, uh, you know, in a few companies instead of a lot. There's there's less local stuff. The mm -hmm. best moats usually the easiest to find are things that are local moats, and that is become harder. It used to be that media was like a local business in parts, and mm -hmm. now it's not. And I can think of other industries like that. Someone asked about commodities and stuff. The commodities I like are all the ones that you can't ship very far. They're all local moats. Mm -hmm. My favorite moats for anything are usually local. Um, I would say that's true. And well, it's like so why, like with banks and stuff, you like like regional banks. You like you mm -hmm. talk about cement companies where it's yeah. like weight per distance and stuff like right. that. Yeah. And also, then you can find small companies that have moats. Whereas mm -hmm. you know, with these, these other things, a lot of times there's only one winner, and then you may not know that, that well that it had a moat until much later yeah. in time. But you know, I've misjudged them many times on those things. Mm -hmm. so. Have you sworn off timber and land companies for good in your match accounts? Um, probably, I would say, and that's not correct to do from the perspective of like me and it might not even be how I would do it if I was managing my own money but I think just because of the way that it works we bring in new money all the time and things like that um, it, we do like to have better businesses or businesses that are more comfortable like owning indefinitely mm -hmm. and that's just not going to happen even Timberland that the like return on land isn't that high so we a software company that we can own for 10 years is going to have a higher return on equity or something than like Timberland so we'd always be trading in and out quicker on land mm -hmm. i think you're not going to own it forever now you know we'll see if I can find something that that's not true for, um, but it's hard to find something that you think for 10 years or more is going to give you really good returns in something like land. Um, so we basically don't invest in asset things. I would mm -hmm. say. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and myself in today's podcast. If you want to uh, be on the lookout for future Q and A's and have a question asked, follow me on Twitter at focus compound. If you are going to be in Omaha the week of the Berkshire meeting, uh, around that time, May 2nd, uh, reach out to me, Andrew at focus .com, If you'd like to learn a little bit more about our money management services, either through the fund structure or the SMA structure, uh, we'd love to meet up and chat in person. Uh, be sure to check out all of our other work. Hit that subscribe button, thumbs this video up, leave us a rating review. 
and we'll see you next podcast. Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to follow along.